Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Amen. All right, well, if you've got your Bibles with you, we are going to look at John chapter 1. And this is the Word became flesh. And we're going to get stuck into this message. It says this, John chapter 1, verse 1. It's going to come up on the screens. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is speaking of Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's speaking of John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. Verse 8, he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Verse 11, he came to that which was his own, speaking of the Jews, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I just want to read verse 12 again about Jesus. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Can someone say amen? All right, we're going to read John 3.16, and we're going to go through to verse 21, and then we'll get stuck into some points. So John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Come on. Hey, so this morning, I want to preach to you about Jesus Christ, God's Son, the Messiah, God in a bod, and change. I want to talk about Jesus and change, but not just any change, transformative change. I want to talk about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, our Savior, and transformative change in your life. The message is called Under Construction because God wants to do a construction in your life. Well, hey, the first verse in the Bible, many people know it. Even people that aren't Christians would would know Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And I love that scripture because right at the beginning of God's word, we're being introduced to God as a creator. We're also being introduced that in the beginning, God was there. He was doing something. It's introducing quite early on that God is not created. There's no beginning to God. God has always been. He always will be. He always is. He's the great I am. And what I love about God is, is that he's not like us. He is not created. He is outside of time. He's holy. He's sovereign. He answers to no one. He has no beginning and no end. He is perfect. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. That is the God that we serve. Here's the tricky thing. It's very difficult for us imperfect created beings to come into a relationship with an uncreated, perfect, holy God. It's not easy. I don't know if you've seen Indiana Jones 4, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It's so bad, it's good. But there's a great, great scene at the end where the Russian lady comes face to face with an all-knowing cosmic alien. And because of the all-knowingness, her face just melts. And someone in the, second, in, the, in the previous service reminded me that Indiana Jones won that crazy Nazi dude. They opened the Ark of the Covenant and his face melts. So it looks like Steven Spielberg and uh, who's the other guy? Um, George Lucas, they had a revelation of the glory of God. Because if the, if the real manifest presence of God, the power of God, the presence of a holy God comes into contact with an imperfect created person, faces are going to melt. But... Here's the thing, we are, we are created, we are imperfect, we, are, we, are, um, we have a beginning, we have an end, God does not, and coming into contact with the Holy God means that we would literally self-combust, like in those movies. It's not an easy thing to happen. But the, the crazy thing is, is that God has created us to be in a relationship with Him. So how does that work? Well, it's very apparent that every person is imperfect and broken in some way, and the Bible calls this sin. The Bible calls it sin. Things that we do, things that are in us, things that are in our nature are intrinsic to humanity that separate us from a perfect holy God. How they dealt with this in the Old Testament was that if you wanted to come into the presence of God, if you wanted to be in right standing with God again, something had to be killed in your place. Blood had to be shed. What that looked like was if I stole something, I would have to find the nearest pigeon and I would go and impart my sin to that pigeon with the priest and the priest would kill the, it would kill it. And that would represent that something has died to keep me in the presence of God, to mean I have right standing with God. I think it's a horrible picture. I was reading a commentary about this, and they were saying how the Israelite camp would have had constantly the smell of burnt sacrifices. The altar would have constantly had blood on there, and people would have constantly been bringing animals to the altar. It's a horrible picture. It's a, it's a terrible picture of what people had to do to keep right standing with God. If someone murdered someone, they had to back in three cattle. They'd have to come in. If you were angry at your mum, throw me a guinea pig. And you'd literally have to keep record with the Lord. It was animal sacrifice. Whenever I go on a road trip, usually sometime between um, Bunbury and Miami Bakery, um, we'll start playing a game of Would You Rather. Anyone play Would You Rather? So once we've exhausted the classic options, would you rather sneeze custard or jelly beans? It starts getting a bit dry. Usually this one comes up. Would you rather go vegan or every animal that you eat, you have to personally kill? And everybody in the car goes, ooh. 
And then people start to think, how many cows would I need to kill to have steak for the year and different things like that? It's not a very nice thing to think about. But what's even worse is would you rather never sin again or every time you do, you need to personally kill an animal? Because that's what was happening in the Old Testament. Can you imagine the, the fear of sinning again because you didn't want to kill something again? That's what people lived with. And you couldn't be a vegan Christian. You couldn't say, I've sinned again. Here's a carrot. You couldn't do that. Here's a selection of rancid chickpeas. You couldn't do that. If you sinned, something had to die. Something had to die. Now, the Bible paints this picture of the human condition. This is the human condition, our inability to be good enough to come into a relationship with a perfect holy God. Everybody here today, we are in a battle against sin. We are in a battle against our own flesh. We are wanting to fight those desires that are against the Word of God. And the New Testament puts it this way. Paul says, what I don't want to do, I do. And what I do want to do, I don't do. He, he beautifully put the nature that we all have. It's like, I know I need to do that. I know I should be doing this, but I keep doing this. It's like, I know I shouldn't be eating cake. I should be at any time fitness. But then before you know it, you're at the cheesecake shop putting an order in. And it manifests itself in serious ways as well. We know that we shouldn't get angry with people, but yet again, we're facing moments of being incredibly angry. There's moments where we go, I oh, know I should have self-control with my study, with my finance. But again, we find ourselves with an inability to actually change. We find ourselves in addiction. Things we know we shouldn't do, we do. And what we should do, we don't do. Violence, stealing, lying, lust. How sin and brokenness manifests itself in each person is unique and different, yet completely the same. How you sin and I sin is so different, yet completely the same. What does that mean? It means that you can have someone that lives in Mongolia wrestling with the same sin that someone that lives in Rockingham is. Across the planet, people are wrestling with the same thing. Why is it that someone in Canada that's never met someone that lives at Rottnest Island struggle with the same things? It's because it's inhumanity. It's not a you issue. It's an every human being issue. Sin is something that we all have. Not being able to hit the mark before God is something that we all wrestle with. We cannot be good enough. We have an inability to change in a way to be good enough to come into a loving relationship with a holy God. Like brokenness is in every human, so is a desire to connect with a higher power. Sometimes the higher power we make ourselves. Sometimes we make it a place, an item, a person. As your brokenness is within you, so is your desire for fulfillment, which only comes by connecting with your creator, which is what you were created for. So we cannot be in a relationship with a holy God in this condition, yet that's what we're created for to be in a relationship with this holy God. So are you ready for the good news? The good news is, is that in John 3.16, we, re we read, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And then we read in Romans that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus wants us, God wants us to be in relationship with him. So he has sent the solution. The book of Hebrews, we're going to read in a second. It talks about how the blood of animals cannot take away sins. And this is the gospel. 
The gospel message is that what we could not do for ourselves to enter into a relationship with God, Jesus Christ came and did for us. It's not about knowing the right holy guru or priest because you can know Jesus. It's not about trekking to that holy site because where you are right now, God can meet you. It's not about being good enough, perfect or holy enough because Christ was perfect for you. It's not about paying a cost because Jesus has paid it all. This is the gospel that what we could not do ourselves, God provided provided a solution in his son to come and do for us in Jesus name I've been in I've been in many places that I probably shouldn't have been one of those places was at a conference and uh, where I was at a conference with my dad and he was a guest at the conference so I received a VIP lanyard and this lanyard meant that I could go and avail myself of the refreshments in the green room um, And so at this conference, I went into the green room and I was by myself in there. I was probably uh, 11 or 12 years old and I'm sitting in this green room and in comes two guys with earpieces and they kind of scan the room and they kind of look at me and they're a bit confused. They back out and then in comes Joyce Meyer. Now, if you don't know Joyce Meyer, she is Christian Oprah. She's very famous. She writes books. She's got shows, holds conferences. She does many amazing things around the planet. Joyce Meyer comes in, sparkly jacket, and sits down across from me. And so I'm kind of like, man, I know who that is. And then the two security guards come up and they're like, excuse me, young man, are you allowed to be in here? To which I just held up the lanyard. And they said, very well, sir. Would you like a beverage? No, they didn't say that, but... I was in a green room with Joyce Meyer because of a lanyard that I had. Another time was um, when my dad was traveling a lot when we were younger, and I went on a trip with him, and because he, he, he was traveling, he was a Qantas Club member, so we, he goes up to the Qantas Club desk and says, can I bring my son in with me? And so the lady was very nice and let me go in with my dad. And if you've ever been in the Qantas lounge before, many people in there have suits on, really nice briefcases, there's a lot of RM Williams in there, there's a lot of phone calls being made, laptops being typed at, it's a very, um, what would you say, mature place. And so I'm in there with a backpack with my Nintendo. DS, listening to some music, and uh, I'm helping myself to, you know, the snacks and the refreshments, and uh, as you can imagine, someone comes over, excuse me, young man, are you allowed to be in here? And I just pointed at my dad and said, that's my dad, carry on, sir, would you like some leek soup? And it was, I was allowed to be in there because my dad was there. How can I justify being in those places? Well, one of them was because of something I was wearing. And the Bible tells us is that when we receive Jesus Christ, when we put our faith in the cross, that we now wear the righteousness of Christ. When we talk about, if you've been in church for any amount of time and you hear about being covered in the blood, when you hear that for the first time, you're like, oh, but covered in the blood means that when you approach God, and it's how can you be before a holy God when you make mistakes? Well, I'm wearing the right thing. I'm wearing the blood of Christ. I am covered by his righteousness. Secondly, We can go before a holy God boldly because of someone that we can know. So we'll go to approach God and pray to God and seek God and reach out to God. And when the enemy would come to say, you can't do that, look at all the mistakes you've made, or even people in your life say, how can you be a Christian with all the stuff you've done? Well, you can be there because of someone you can know. You can be in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We can approach a holy God as imperfect people because of something we're wearing, the righteousness of Christ, and someone we know, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You are justified by Christ. And I love this. The scriptures talk about justification. And justification is a beautiful thing explored in scripture. And what it is, is it's separation 
from the penalty of sin. You are justified by Christ. You have been separated from the penalty of sin. Therefore, you can enter into a beautiful relationship with God. Great scripture is 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's going to come up. It's one of my favorites. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. I love that scripture. Talking about when we receive Jesus at the point of conversion, we're a new creation. The new comes. The old's gone. It's a powerful moment. I remember in 2005, I was at a conference in Adelaide where for the first time, I personally made a conscious decision to receive Jesus' forgiveness, to repent and turned to him. And I'd grown up in church. I knew all the Bible stories. I knew um, all the stuff, all the messages. I knew all the songs, but I didn't know Jesus personally. And so on that day, I made a decision to turn to Christ and begin a personal relationship with him. Can I tell you, man, it refreshed me. I came back from that trip and I was thinking differently. I was talking differently. I was spending time with God in my bedroom. I had a superhero Bible and I was reading that and I felt like God was speaking to me and I'd go to school and I had a passion for the lost. And then six months later, I felt like how I did pre-conversion and I was like hold on I'm a new creation the new has come the old is gone what is wrong has anyone else felt that way before you have man I felt like that every youth camp I'd leave youth camp a bishop and then the next week I'm just feeling like George again anyway here's what here's what's happening here's what's happening at the point of conversion God begins a transformative work in your life things are improving you are heading towards God's original intended design for your life but like a renovation as me and Bianca have recently discovered you are at the beginning of a long yet amazing journey The Bible tells us that he wants to transform us. The South African translation says, transform us. Jesus wants to do a transformation in your life. So the Bible talks about justification. We've been justified, but then what happens is we then need to be sanctified. What's happening, that transformative work is sanctification at work in your life. Justification is free from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is being freed from the power of sin, being delivered from the power of sin in your life. You are now free because God's resurrection power is available to you and at work in you to step away from sin. Hebrews 10 verse 1 is going to come up on the screen. It's a fantastic scripture. It's called Christ's sacrifice once and for all. So verse 10 says this, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, they would not have stopped being offered. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? Sorry, I didn't see the question mark. For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. I love that. So powerful. Scripture establishing that the blood of animals cannot take away sins. And then Jesus comes in and says, Here I am. I love it. Verse 8. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, 
Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And, that, and, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, speaking of Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Love this, verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Let me read that again. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Super interesting scripture here because he's saying those who have been perfected. It's finished. Perfected is, he's perfected. You can't get more perfect than perfect. Mark Brown, you have been made perfect. That's finished. But then the scripture says, and (laughs) that's encouraging. Mark was blessed. Those who have been perfected and are being made holy. Being made holy is ongoing. So what's happening here? You've been perfected, but you're being made holy. It's finished, but it's also ongoing. Here's the thing. Evidence of being holy is that by faith, you're becoming holy. Evidence of being made holy is that by faith, you're becoming holy. The driving force to change is that you're already changed by the grace of God. Believing in Christ has made me holy, makes me want to be holy in my actions. So here's the thing. You were transformed, you are transformed, and you're being transformed. You were set free, you are free, and you're being made free. You were changed, you are changed, and you're being changed. All throughout Scripture, it talks about salvation in past tense, present tense, and future tense. If you're a believer, you were saved, you are saved, and you're being saved. It's super confusing, but evidence of that is that by faith, you're becoming that. God wants to begin and has begun a sanctifying transforming work in your life. 1 Corinthians 6.11 said, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord, uh, Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Come on, you are transformed, and you're being transformed. You're transformed, and you're being transformed. All right. All right. Well, here's what the transformation is doing. You're being transformed from the inside out. You're being transformed from your soul and in your mind and in your heart and in your spirit. And it's going to present in good fruit. I'm a bit of a Kitchen Nightmares fan. Anyone else like Kitchen Nightmares? All right, in Kitchen Nightmares, there's a great episode where this incredibly dysfunctional restaurant is is struggling. They're losing thousands of dollars every week. The food's terrible. The service is terrible. It looks terrible. All this stuff. And, And Gordon Ramsay says to the owner, overnight... We are going to transform this restaurant. We're going to renovate it. We're going to flip it on its head. And so the guy's really excited. And then they do a time lapse of the the day, night, and then back to morning. And it shows the owner getting back to the restaurant. And he's out the front. 
and he looks disappointed because nothing out the front has changed. The sign's the same. The restaurant name's the same. And then the owner goes inside and everything still looks the same. And he's disappointed and he's like, you can tell that he's kind of like, I was banking on new chairs and different things like that. And then Gordon Ramsay leads him to the kitchen and out on the kitchen bench are 40 new dishes. And Gordon Ramsay said this line, which when I watched the show, I thought that'll preach. Because he said, he said, look, we don't need to address the outside. We don't need to address how it looks. We need to address what's coming out of the kitchen. And I felt like that is what God would say to you and I, is that it's great if your life looks good, but he's more concerned with what's coming out of the kitchen. So God's transformation, we, we cannot get confused that God's transformation is about aesthetics. Being set free by Christ is not about having more holidays and a nice car and a fresh haircut. It's about being transformed in your soul. It's being made free from sin, made free from addiction. It's turning to Christ. Christianity is transformation from the inside out, not the outside in. And I want to encourage you as a believer, believe for transformation on the inside but before you believe for it on the outside. If you get a boat and a new job, praise God, but I'm more concerned about what's coming out of the kitchen and I know that God is as well. What flows out of your life, God wants to transform that in Jesus' name. Well, um, me and Bianca, uh, Bianca's uh, half Sri Lankan, and we've been to Sri Lanka many times together. And one thing that we've, we've noticed when we're there is that Sri Lanka is incredibly religious. So uh, it's 2% secular, and the 98% of people that are practicing things there are making desperate attempts to connect with God whilst not changing on the inside at all, more often than not. And what I mean by that is there's the people that we've connected with there and family of Bianca. They've got all the crystals in the car. They've got the dream catcher hanging. There's a temple in Sri Lanka with Buddha's chipped tooth. They'll go and touch the tooth and believe for some sort of radical thing. It, it's, it's all on the outside. And a lot of it is, how can I look spiritual on the outside? What can I do on the outside to connect with God? When really what Christianity is, is what does God want to do on the inside of me? What, it's not, what do I need to do on the outside to connect with God? It's what does God want to do on the inside for me to connect with God? He wants to transform you from the inside out. And Bianca and I are um, new homeowners, and we um, have done a bit of renovation at our place and something that I noticed very early on was, is that we were so excited to get into the house, relax and enjoy it. And, and I started to get into the house, but hey, once we get the floors in, then it'll just be awesome. We'll just come and relax. So we put the floors in. And then I'm sitting there going, once the skirting's on, then, we would, then we'll just be, we'll be done. We'll be able to enjoy it. And then we did the skirting. Then I'm like, man, the cooch is looking so dry. And then I try and get the cooch to not be so dry. Anyone else having lawn problems? Anyway. So you look at the lawn and then you go, man, well, maybe we need to fix the lights. I'm starting to realize that if I wait for a day when the house is finished for me to enjoy it and for me to really be present in the house and, and, and enjoy that house, it is never going to come. I'm going to die having never enjoyed that house if I'm waiting for the end day. But here's what happens. For us as believers, often we don't enjoy our faith. We don't feel established in the church. We don't feel like we can be effective in the kingdom till everything's finished. But I'm here to tell you, you're under construction from the time you're saved until the time you die. You are transformed and you're being transformed. I want to encourage you, don't wait for a day till you're completely sin free to enjoy your faith because then you'll only be able to enjoy it on the day Christ returns. And by then you're going to go flip. I could have done a few things before I left. 
You are going to be constantly under construction in your life. Don't rob yourself of the joy now and the peace now of saying, I'm, a, I'm under construction in God. God is transforming me. I'm going to strap in and enjoy the ride. I'm thankful that I'm made clean. I'm being made clean. I'm clean in the future. And just thank God for the construction that he's doing in your life. For those here today who are yet to believe in Jesus, I want to encourage you, you're only one decision away from the transformative work of Christ beginning in your life. And I love that when we respond to God, it's almost like he starts wrapping us up in under construction paper to say to the devil, you cannot enter this space, I'm doing a good work. We've got to receive the work of God in our life. You might be here today thinking, I can't be a Christian because I've done so many bad things. I'm too far from God. I'm too bad. But that's like not going to the mechanic because your car won't start. You go to the mechanic because your car won't start. You go to God because you're broken. You go to God because you have done bad things. You go to God because you're in a mess. And I want to encourage you today, you're never too bad for God. God loves you and he has a plan for you and he wants to begin a transformative work in your life. I'd love it if the band just comes up. Well, something, some things I've noticed in our construction at our house in the renovation have actually um, spoken to me about what God is doing and has done in my life. And in our construction at our place, we've been taking a lot of things out. We've been removing old uh, toilets, old laundry things, been ripping out some stuff, some old trees. I had a yucca, had to take out. But I felt like God was just reminding me of the things He's taken out of my life as He's been sanctifying me, as He's been transforming me. He has taken out from me and He can take out from you old ways of thinking. He can remove addictions from your life. He wants to take out fear. He wants to take out worry. He wants to take out anger. He wants to take out the way that you used to see yourself. He wants to take out the way that you spoke, your language. He wants to take out loneliness out of your heart. He wants to take empty out of your spirit. And I know that when God takes things out, He also puts things in. He wants to fasten and establish and put into you new beliefs, new habits, new ways of thinking. He wants to establish in you prayer. He wants to fasten worship into your life. He wants to install service to others. Come on, a peace that transcends all understanding to be fixed in your life. The joy of God, self-control, wisdom, compassion. And I know that when He puts things in and takes things out, He's also repairing some things that were broken in your life. God wants to come and repair them. The way that you saw yourself, gifts that you've given up on, dreams that you've given up on, a hope for the future. God wants to repair that in your life. Your view of others, God wants to come and repair that. When you're under construction and God does a transformative work in your life, what do you look like? You look fruitful. God is producing fruit out of your life, in your personal life in the things that you do, in your job, in your family. You're fruitful in your thinking. You're fruitful in your behaviors. You're fulfilled. That, that deep desire to connect with God is there. You're fulfilled in your spirit, but you're also free. We're justified. The penalty of sin is gone. We're being sanctified. The power of sin is gone. We are able to be free. We're able to resist the devil and not give in to temptation and to do those things that we know we ought to do. I want to encourage you this morning. God wants to begin a transformative work in your life. He wants to complete the transformative work in your life. And it's as simple as receiving His love, receiving His work and saying, God, I am aware that I'm under construction for the rest of my life. Would you do a great work? Would you repair? Would you fix? Would you put things in? Would you take things out? I wonder if we could just stand together, church. We're going to worship Him. 
Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us and special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member, and let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.